Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. The title of the message this morning is Hashtag Blessed. Some of you may know what that means, and some may not, but basically the hashtag is something that pound symbol there before blessed, and a lot of times on social media, you put a a pound sign or what we call a hashtag there, and so everybody that posts something with that word, you can see what that is, and so a lot of people put hashtag blessed, and it's often when something good happens, they get a bonus in the mail, or they get, you know, they, they have a relationship that they're excited about, all of these great things that they do, they, they just talk about being hashtag blessed, kind of like being at the beach. So, you know, everybody wants to take that picture of their toes in the sand with the beach out there and post it everywhere and say, hashtag blessed. And we're all like going, oh, that's great, but I'm still stuck at home. But if you search blessed on Instagram, you will find more than 100 million posts. The hashtag highlights pictures of beautiful faces, vacations, beautiful places, new babies, graduations, successes, and happiness. But if you keep, if you keep scrolling, you'll see recent business startups or, or wonderful technology, new marriages and fancy cars. I can see now someone posts their new car online. Hashtag blessed. Okay, you've got a new car. We're happy for you. But the thing is, is that being blessed is not that shallow. Look, if you have hashtag posted, uh, posted hashtag blessed, this is not a judgment because I have done it too. But the thing is, is that people are using that, that term, being blessed, so flippantly that sometimes it loses its power because being blessed is not as shallow as getting a new car or having a vacation and all those things that, look, it's great that we have those things, but do we really need to tell everybody about what we're doing and how blessed we are? Truly being blessed is much more. It is a deep sense of enduring satisfaction, even in the best or worst of times. The thing is, this isn't the good warm feeling for us, Or when the moment fades, this is rooted in our deep gut joy that doesn't shift with circumstances. I wouldn't post today, Father's Day, my dad's gone, hashtag blessed. People are not going to do that. People are not going to say, oh, I lost my job yesterday, hashtag blessed, unless it's the job, I don't know. But you know what I'm saying to me? Everybody puts all the good stuff and they talk about all the great blessings of God when He gives us things and when He does things for us. But how many times do we consider ourselves blessed when we are going through times that may be a little tough? You see, this morning we look at God giving us the blessings of fathers, mothers, children, and more. And I challenge you to lift up your gaze today in reverence of our Heavenly Father. Yes, God is great, and yes, God is good. And He is our good, good Father. He is our super dad. And all who believe in Him, if you believe in Jesus Christ, and God is your Heavenly Father, my friend, you are blessed. And that is what Psalm 112 tells us this morning. Before we jump into the Scripture, I just want to let you know that I don't know if you knew this or not, but like chapter numbers 
and verse numbers, they are not part of the original text. Somebody went back and added those numbers. So sometimes what happens is if there is like a section of the letter that is written and there's a a common thought, but yet they still have broken it up. So what I'm saying is, is that Psalm 111 is kind of like the, the sister passage to 112. They kind of like go together. And they both are comprised of 22 lines. Each of them begins with a successive letter by the Hebrew alphabet, which makes them an acrostic. And so they detail, in Psalm 111, it details what God has done for man. And if you want to go back and read that, that's, that's fine for the purpose of time. We're going to jump into 112 because Psalm 112 details the results. Of living for God. Now, Charles Spurgeon was a famous preacher, and he said about Psalm 112, he says, It bears the relationship to Psalm 111, which as the moon does to the sun. For while the first declares the glory of God, the second speaks of the reflection of the divine brightness in men from, who were born from above. Now, what, that's a fancy way of saying that just like we know the moon does not radiate light, the moon reflects the light from the sun. That's why we have sometimes full moon, half moon, crescent moon, eclipse, all of those kind of things is because it's reflecting that sun. And our days and nights and our whole system of time are revolved around that reflection and, and the cycle of sun and moon. And so what he's saying here is that we are reflecting God's glory. And that's what this passage is talking about. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read verses 1 and 2. And the first thing that we see is, Blessed are the man and his family that fear the Lord. Blessed are the man and his family that fear the Lord. Now, the New Living Translation, it says, very first off, praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord. So what the New Living Translation did is that like in the King James Version, it says, Blessed is the man that fears the Lord, since there was an ability there to translate it into being not just man, but mankind. And you get that. It says, How joyful are these who fear the Lord and delight in his obeying his commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy, and their good deeds will last forever. I love it how this passage begins with a praise, with, with singing praises to God. It says, praise the Lord. And as we begin the scripture, that's the way he, he starts this. And notice who is the subject of that praise. He doesn't say, praise the whatever I'm considered blessed with. He's not praising, oh, this is a great day and it's great weather. He's not praising the fact of what he's in. He's just praising the Lord, period. Praise directed towards anyone or anything else is ultimately defeated. I mean, think about it. If we praise people, eventually they may let us down. If we praise our favorite teams, eventually they will let us down or they will lose. Or they will make a decision that we don't appreciate. We praise money, but money will not always be in good supply. We praise our health, but let's face it, our faith 
I mean, our health fades. But yet God remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. So here's the life question I ask myself and I ask you to ponder this morning as we go through this scripture. Is anyone or anything more worthy of your praise than God? Is anything more worthy of your praise than God? Yes, there are a lot of important things. Putting food on a table. Taking care of your loved ones. Being productive in society and having all of these titles and things that you have. But the truth of the matter is, at the end of the day, only God created you. Only God provided salvation for you. And only the true blessings only come from God because they will last forever. So how joyful are you, those who fear the Lord? Psalm 111 ended with the idea that the fear of the Lord was the beginning of wisdom. Now the psalmist here explains that the one who fears the Lord is blessed. So fearing God does not mean that you look for him around corners and like it's a, a scary kind of boo kind of thing where he's going he's gonna to take your breath away because he scares you in a dark room. What does fearing the Lord mean? Fearing the Lord means is revering him, honoring him and love them just like when you were a child and you did something and your parents said just wait until your other parent gets home. You fear them, you love them, but you fear the fact that you might have to go pick your hickory when they get home. Or sit in your time out, or whatever you feel, however you raise your family on that. But anyway, it's a fear, but it's not a fear of I'm scared I'm going to die. Well, it may be a fear you're going to die. But the truth of the matter is, is that it's showing reverence. Every time you see a cop with his radar gun pointed at you and you tap the brakes... That's showing a fear of, of getting a ticket. It's showing respect. It's showing honor. And so we see here that if you want to be blessed by God, you have to fear Him and obey Him. It says those that fear the Lord obey His commands. So if you love God, your decisions and your actions will show it. I think James put it best in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. I'm going to read it here. It'll be on your screen or you can read it from your own scripture. James is talking and he says, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. If someone can look at this scripture and they can read it and they say, Well, it's outdated and it doesn't apply anymore. That's their belief, but they're only fooling themselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. It's kind of like putting together that furniture that comes in a box. It's like this huge bookshelf, but yet it comes in a box about this thick. And you've got, two, you've got one little Allen wrench, and you've got to put everything together with that thing. And it'd be like looking at that direction, and some of you do this, I know. Oh, I got this. The other direction's away, and then you build it, and then it's like leaning to the left, leaning to the right kind of thing. But he says in verse 25, he says, But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. 
You see, being obedient to God and fearing Him and living for Him is the mark of a true Christian. And if there was ever a day where we need fathers and mothers and grandmothers and mentors and teachers and coaches, if we ever needed people to be a true Christian, it is today because so many of them that wear the Christian name are doing such a poor job. Fathers, your obedience to God today makes a difference in the lives of others tomorrow. It says in verse 2, their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. If you want to join in and tell everybody, all these millennials today or these kids, they're not like they were back then. What happened to them? I'll tell you what happened to them. Their fathers quit putting them in church. Their mothers quit putting them in church. They let them slide and all of a sudden, parents weren't parenting. The kids were parenting themselves and telling the parents what they would and would not do. And y'all that are complaining about it, including myself, were part of the problem. But we don't want to say that, do we? Hashtag blast! Here's the truth. You can take this to the bank. Others will replicate what you emulate. Others will replicate. I can't even say it. I thought that was really smart. (laughs) Others will replicate what you emulate. Do you understand what that means? Monkey see, monkey do. Garbage in, garbage out. To fathers, to the children that are in your sphere of influence and grandparents or coaches, or teachers, or mentors, or family friends. What people see in you is their idea of what being a Christian should be, being what a father should be. I was painfully reminded of that many years ago when we were in our last church, and uh, a friend of ours, uh, they had a little boy, and I was just doing something. I did something with my face to where I like, I'm not going to do it for here because it's, but anyway, you make a funny face. Well, all of a sudden, I found out from my friend that that kid started doing that all the time because they saw the preacher doing it all the time. But the truth of the matter, it was, it was pretty funny, to be honest with you. But, but and, and, and they, they thought it was funny, too. But, of course, that's one of those things, adults, where a kid does something funny and you don't want them to keep doing it, so you're not going to laugh at it, but you really think it's funny. But the truth is, is that, that kid emulated what they saw in me. And although that is a small thing, those of you that have the privilege and the calling and the mandate and the responsibility to raise children, to be around children, and to mentor children, this is a responsibility. You can't pawn it off on the last generation. It starts today. It starts now. Fathers, you have a responsibility to lead your family to fear God and obey Him. Nobody's going to come back. You can't say, well, the preacher didn't preach that part. Or that, that Bible school, they didn't teach that lesson. Or so-and-so was supposed to do that. We are all held accountable for what the condition our families are in. And we don't say it a lot today, but men, you are the point man of your family. It doesn't mean that the woman, the wife, the spouse is any less. But there has to be a point person. And at the end of the day, I am going to be judged on how I lead my family. I am going to be judged more harshly on how I lead the church, and I understand that. That's just 
part of the calling. But at the end of the day, you are going to be held accountable for how you have led your family. Whether you have a, a, a male figure in your family that is the leader or because of life in different situations, it's just you. Each person is responsible for their decision of faith, but showing those behind you the way is a big help. How many, how, how, how will your family carry on without you? Think about that. That day comes with, with most of us in here, I would venture to guess, unless Jesus Christ comes back. At some point, we are going to be gone off of this earth. And what do you leave behind? How are your children prepared? How are your grandchildren prepared? How is this church prepared for people that have gone on? It's because they have emulated and they have shown us today or yesterday what we need to do today. Fearing God today will bless others for generations. That's what it says here. Then we see some traits of the blessed in verses 4 through 8. Traits of the blessed. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. Good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Don't worry, I'm not asking anybody for a loan after this. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. Folks, what we see here is that light shines in the darkness for the godly. Even in times of affliction, one can be blessed and they can find happiness in the darkest of times is because the light is being shown. Why is that? Because God is gracious. God is compassionate. And God is righteous. So going back to that whole thing about the sun and the moon, and we are to reflect what God. So if God is, if God is these things, if, if God is generous, if God is compassionate, and if God is righteous, and again, righteous is a big church word that goes over, we hear it so much it kind of loses the impact. But what is righteousness or righteous, yeah, righteousness or, or righteous living? It's living right. It's living according to God's word. Not perfectly. You are not going to be perfect in this life. But it means that we read the directions and we try to do what the directions say so that what we create and what we live and what we do is the closest version of what the creator intended it to be. So if God is generous, so if God is righteous and if God is compassionate and we are to reflect God, that means, ha ha, we are to be generous, compassionate and righteous. And the cool thing is, we, sometimes we don't have the ability inside to do that, but it is God working through us, reflecting off of us that allows us to do that. With generosity and compassion, I think of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. I'll show it on the screen for you. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the truth, and they have pierced themselves with many sorrows. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, and you've heard me say this before, if somebody 
has got an accumulation of wealth, that is not a sin. Having money is not a sin. Loving money is a sin. Loving money more than loving God is a sin. Trying to hold on to your money and not giving God the money that is due Him is sin. And it's loving money more than loving God. There are poor people that love money so much as they do all they can. Their whole life is dependent upon how they can get money. Just as there are people that have more money than they know they have that are unhappy. There are people that are billionaires that are unhappy. There are people that have two cents in their pocket that are unhappy. It's not about the amount. It's about the heart behind it. See, having a spirit of generosity keeps you from being selfish. Did you ever thought about that? If all your if all of your your goal here is to build up your own nest egg and you're never thinking about other people, everything is based on you. And so you are not allowing that generosity to to flourish and you end up being more selfish than giving. A generous person has placed their faith before their wealth, time and abilities. You see wealth is a result of Faith-driven discipline, contentment, and sacrifice. If we're generous, we demonstrate that we have placed our trust in God. If God truly has control of all of our lives, the last place that is the biggest struggle for most people to give control is either in their calendar or in their pocketbook. Because that, are, that, that, is, hitting, that is punching to the gut, right? We see that uh, Spurgeon also said that he is not a borrower, for God has fought, lifted him above that necessity. Neither is he a hoarder, for his new nature saves him from that temptation. But he wisely uses the talents committed to him. You see, generosity makes us a rich person, but that riches is not necessarily measured in dollars and cents. Sometimes the richness is the relationships that we have. Sometimes the, relig- the richness is... The, you know, have you ever thought that maybe you were as rich and as blessed as you need to be today because you woke up with a roof over your head, with people that love you, and you got to come to a church and worship the Lord, hear His Word preached? Just the simple things that others take for granted. Righteous living means living according to God's Word. He talked, how, how does that look? He says, conduct your business fairly. Even when evil rages, you will not be overcome. Your legacy will be remembered. You can have confidence in God even in the worst of times. No one can care for you like God can. You can be confident that God is in control and your victory through him is assured. My friends, if your faith is in the almighty dollar or in the almighty politicians of these days, you are struggling right now. And a lot of us my age, we don't even know what struggling is compared to what some of our older family members in here have known what struggle is. But the truth of the matter is, is that if our faith is in God and not in our bank account, our bank account's going to go up, it's going to go down. Our investments are going to lose, and they're going to go up. That's just the way life works. 
But the rock-solid constant is, God says, even the birds of the air are fed, and how much more valuable are you than those birds? So you don't worry whether your portfolio goes up or down. You don't worry whether it's going to take a loan to fill your gas tank this week. I will provide for you if you put me first. Then the third thing is, God gives the blessed influence and honor. If you are truly blessed by God, He will give you influence and honor. It says, verse 9 and 10, They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. The wicked will see this and be infuriated. They will grind their teeth in anger. And they will slink away, their hopes thwarted. Yes, it says here that those who are blessed by God will be remembered forever. The thing is, someone who sets a record in sports, they are remembered until their record is broken. If someone is remembered because they have a lot of money, that will change when their money is lost or somebody else makes more money. Here we see those who honor God will be remembered. And it also says that God boasts of you. If you are one of these people that are living according to God's word, that God will boast on you. You will be remembered. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I have sat there. The way a funeral normally works, those of you that have been through this know this, is that before they have the service, they ask everybody to go out except the family. And then they come into a side room with the pastor, and the pastor prays for the family while the funeral workers get the body ready for the actual funeral service. And I've had to look in the eyes of many a family, some of you in here. And the same was done for me with my parents. And when you look, and you see the, the family, there, there, there's so many different uh, shades of, of things that I see. And I, I guess I'm just rambling for a minute, but I guess what my point, I just need to say it, is that there are many times when that person has passed away, their memory, their legacy carries on. Through their family. We see that in Homeland Park Baptist Church. We see, although people are gone, their families are still here carrying on that legacy, not because these people were perfect, but they did what Psalm 112 said and it instilled it in their children, and now they are doing it and they are instilling it in their children, and it goes forward. This is not some abstract psalm. This is the truth that we are seeing played out right in our very church. It's called legacy. It's called remembering. It's called showing people today how to live so that when you're gone, they will be able to do it tomorrow. So the marks of a righteous person, according to Psalm 112, is they fear God. They love Him enough to obey His Word. They prosper. They make a home for their family. They are loving and kind. They are helpful. They are wise. 
They are not afraid to stand for God. They are generous. They do not abuse power. And they are hated by the wicked. That's that's weird how that's added at the end. But the truth is, seeing someone living a righteous life will eat away at somebody who is not. I have told people long before, I've heard, I used to hear teenagers say this and I hear adults say this. Well, I don't understand. I, you know, I've, I'm going to church and I'm doing all the right things, but so and so just is being extra mean to me. I'm facing persecution. I, I don't understand this. Why is it that now when, when, Christians believe God's word and they preach it and they hold to it as it is written. And what it means, we are seen now as the outsiders. We are seen as the um, uh, intolerant. We are seen as hateful. And that is not the case. But the truth of the matter is, is that when our obedience to Christ is shown, it makes the disobedience of this world stick out like a sore thumb. So instead of repenting of their sins and coming to God, they would rather push us down so they feel better about themselves. It is middle school mentality, right? That's what you did in middle school. If there was somebody that was getting all the attention, you'll talk about them and you'll start rumors about them so that people will kind of brand them and then you can get all your attention back. That's what the world does. So that if you are living for the Lord and you start getting some pushback, that is not a bad thing. That is a good thing. Because it shows that you are living a difference. Verse 10 says, they will slink away with their hopes thwarted. Folks, the day is coming when wickedness will end. And it will be gone forever. So as we wrap up our time this morning, a blessed life is centered in reverence for God and a love for living according to His will. This is what being blessed is. Being blessed is not adding a boat to your fleet of things. I'm not arguing. I wouldn't mind having a boat. But it doesn't mean necessarily that that's all that a blessing is. The blessing is having children and grandchildren that love you. The blessing is having children that will be there for you when your health fails and they're taking care of you. That's the blessing. The blessing is being a church that preaches God's word and goes out and reaches out to our community and shows our children today what being a Christian is so that when they get older, they can go and do the same. Because I'm telling you, they are watching every move you make. A blessed life is not one that is filled with pleasant experiences and many possessions. Living a blessed life does not mean that you are living the life that others envy. Living a blessed life honors God and leaves a legacy for their children. So when you trust God completely and you trust him to take care of you, here's the thing. If you truly trust God to take care of you and your family and your needs, it doesn't matter what the economy does. It doesn't matter who's in the office. It doesn't matter the external forces. Is it hard? Absolutely. Is it difficult? Yes. But if you look at this and say, my faith is in God, not in these other things, it helps you weather the storm and it gives you strength where other people do not have it. People say, oh, that Christianity thing, that's just a crutch. My friend, I've been leaning on that crutch for many years, and I will continue to lean on that crutch. 
until the day I'm out of here and no longer need it. Let me just encourage you. We have got some fantastic families in our church. And I love our men. I love our women. I love what we have. We have got so much potential. When I sit back and I think about where we've been and where we are going, I mean, we are on the edge of something I believe totally brand new. But it's going to take leadership. It's going to take men stepping up. It's going to take women taking their call seriously, men taking their call seriously, to not only be the best person they can be for themselves and their small family, but for the church as a whole. We are so blessed. But I just want you to understand today the crux of this message Being blessed is not what you have in your garage and in your bank account. Being blessed is what the God does in your life when you read his word and you honor it and you live it out because you are leaving a legacy in the way that you do that. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time this morning. And I thank you so much for our families that are here today. And Lord, uh, this has been a challenging message, Lord. And, Lord, I would just ask the Lord, as we have a brief time of invitation, if there is one here today that would say, you know what, I need to take my commitment to, ser- to, to Jesus more seriously, or I've never accepted Jesus as my Savior and Lord today. Today is the day I want to do that. Or maybe they realize that they need to be more of, of a, a, a positive, godly influence to their family and friends. Or maybe someone just wants to rededicate their lives or join this church, whatever it may be, Lord. This time of decision is for you to move and for them to respond, Lord, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand for our invitation?